Welcome to the C Word, the Conservatives podcast. Today we're talking about building communities. I'm Jenny Mathiasson, an objects conservative based in Kimmarthenshire. And I'm Chloe Ramsey, an objects conservative based in Manchester. Nailed it. Managed to get through the intro without <laughs> failing and welcome to season 13, everyone. What? That's a very lucky number. Uh, universally agreed by everyone, right? <laughs> yeah, right. That's fine. Yeah. Right, so today we're talking about building communities and we've got a special guest host with us to talk us through it. Would you like to introduce yourself to our listeners? Yeah, sure. My name is Melissa King. I'm based in Portland, Maine in the US. Um, I'm a conservator. I went to the University of Delaware and I specialized in preventive conservation. And I have found myself working for a tech startup that is working on environmental monitoring and preventive conservation for museums, libraries, archives, galleries, maybe private collectors, you know, we're open to everything. But I guess I'm here particularly to talk about um, community building, which is something that I've been involved with before my current role at Conserve, um, the tech company I work for. And also um, now it's a big part of my role currently at, at Conserve. Cool. I love that. I really love the Venn diagram of like community building and conservation. That's really exciting. Was that initially part of your job role or was it like something that you've built over time? Was it always with an eye towards like, we're going to build a community around this? Well, our CEO has always been wanting to do community building and he's made several attempts in the past, but we made a concerted effort last year. I started working with a community consultant and really came up with a plan. I, I did some research. We put together some focus groups and talked to people about what kind of topics people would find valuable in a community building effort and figured out which platform to use and then started doing it. And it's been really fun. Can we take the opportunity to plug our past episode in which Conserve featured beautifully? Which one was it? <laughs> I mean, uh, uh, environmental monitoring. Yes. Go listen to that one. It's really good. We're talking about building communities, but I feel like I have to say that I mean online communities mostly mm. because I grew up on the internet. So that's sort of where it's at for me. But I'm just thinking like, you know, like back in the day when they were like the the internet looked very different. Mm. And now we have so many more tools, which is quite cool. But even back then, you know, there were like, well, there were definitely loads of niche internet communities. I don't know how much conservation could have been involved because, again, conservatives aren't the most tech happy people sometimes <laughs> i was just thinking that about myself i would say that we're actually pretty adept at using communities there's a lot of really great communities that exist between like professional organizations and that's one of the reasons why we really wanted to move towards a community for conserve is because we're all used to talking to each other online and asking for advice on forums and using Facebook groups and social media, Twitter. I mean, that's all can kind of be considered one part of the community. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that is interesting because it sort of means the communities can look can look different and can use different platforms. Like it can mean an awful lot of things. Because I think when I think when people hear community, they're like, "What does that mean?" That's where I was. And then as soon as you started yeah, talking about fine. the communities that I am involved in, I'm like, "Oh yeah." Twitter. Right. Okay. Yeah. Actively well, yeah, use Twitter like, all the time. <laughs> conferences are communities as well. I mean, yeah, yeah. we're actually organizing our first conference for Conserve in September this year. And it's Ooh. specifically on building preservation communities. And that is a community building activity for us as well. Oh, nice. So it's, if you start to think bigger about what community building is, it, it really 
becomes obvious to you that it's all around us. So is another way of putting community building or communities um, like support network or um, I don't know, peer group or um, I'm trying to think of a phrase that involves methods of communication, but I can't think of one. Forum is the kind of thing that I'm thinking of, but that found, feels very dated now. The way I think of community is it's a place I mean, it is a means of communication mm-hmm. where people can help each yeah. other. It's interesting that we say the forums are sort of outdated because forums were like the early staple of the internet in many ways. Like, well, that's what I mean. Because there's, there's forums there's, everywhere. I ha- I've been part of like belly dance forums, for example, and the belly dance forum has now famously closed down because of lack of interest because it's people are using the internet differently now. But I don't know whether that's because they're just using different types of forums or there's different types of hosts for for or for things that are basically forums this is something i spend a lot of time sort of fighting with people about <laughs> Ooh. Ooh. because you're both you're both on the video you're both like lit up when i said that like oh god okay 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 <laughs> <laughs> no i think it's just because I, I talk to a lot of people who like really want to like they specifically they want to build creative communities so they're they're sort of after uh, a space where, you, where they can talk to other creatives and that might be other people who uh, are world builders who write books mm. who spin stories that sort of thing uh, and they're quite upset that people don't really use forums anymore and even if they make a forum now it isn't really how people naturally use the internet anymore that isn't to say that the forums can't exist and that they're not useful but i guess it isn't all that the internet is about anymore uh, there was an interesting part of the past there where it definitely was the hot stuff right but for example there's a very famous sort of forum which is the global conservation forum which is oh, yeah. moved from being a moved from being one of the true relics of the internet a mailing list which (laughs) which when i said that to people they were like is your sector okay who uses mailing lists still and i mean we we still do i'm on like five don't take our mailing lists away from us (laughs) like in heritage and museums mailing lists are still used (laughs) believe it or not people outside of the sector but for the longest time you know the the conservation dist list was the you know that was that was a mailing list and now the dist list is sort of more of a forum where people can pose questions and reply in the threads and stuff oh, like that. Is that, that where it's gone? Okay, I did wonder. <laughs> yes, yes. So it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it doesn't land in your inbox in the same no. way. You can still get a digest. You can <laughs> okay, still do okay. that. But, but it doesn't work the same way. You have to register on their website and uh, stuff like oh, that. So. Okay. Are, we talking, are we calling that a, a community? Just to stay on. I mean, on I would definitely, the dis- definitely say Excellent. that it's a community. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It, it was a community even when it was a mailing list, right? No, I think what I liked about the dist list was that people did reply. So you got that sort of back and forth between people, which is why I think it's really important. As for a lot of the mailing lists I'm on now, feel more like the sort of content signposting where it's like, we've got a job advert or this is something you should be aware of. And there's not really that much communication going on. One thing I was going to say when Chloe mentioned the forum that shut down the belly dancing Mm. forum. I mean, I don't know that forum specifically, but I wonder if some of that had to do with the fact that whoever was maintaining that, like, didn't want to keep doing the work. There's a lot of behind the scenes work that goes into community building. Like you have to make sure like people introduce themselves and you have to, you know, post engaging content for people to 
to get ideas about what to post. Uh, it, there's a lot of behind the scenes work that goes into community building. It's, it's become a significant part of my job, mm-hmm. um, just keeping things going on in this community. That's a really good point. I think it might have been a combination of the two because in that situation, because quite a lot of it was like, can somebody translate these song lyrics for me? Um, which, but is both like extremely sort of time heavy on the person organizing, but also you can now get translated lyrics online to most True. songs. So it's okay. like the for, the function and the and the time outlay, I think, was a as a yeah combination. Mm. There's also a moderating aspect of things too, like questions that come in that don't really fit the parameters of what you're really trying to focus on in the community. Mm-hmm. Like there's a lot of work to do. And especially the community that that we've started is free and available to anyone. So there is a challenge of kind of keeping that reined in in terms mm-hmm. of like what kind of questions people ask. Like, for example, someone recently was asking about like specific um, wet treatment that they could do on an object. And while I was happy to give them some advice and Jenny, I know you you chimed in as well. Thank you. You know, I do realize that there are forums out there that exist for this specific type of topic. So I'm trying to, you know, lean on the connecting to collections care forum. I don't know if you're aware of that. It's specifically for people that work in collections care that want conservation related advice um, about treatment and how to like deal with specific objects. So I encourage them to to go over there. We're trying to keep our focus really narrowly on preventive conservation in the conserved community. Melissa, what kind of forum are you working towards? Is this a highly interactive, like a media interactive or uh, content posting what what are your what's your aim and what did you set out to achieve and what have you got i think the the platform we use makes it easy to be a number of things there's a mobile app so you can you know if like facebook if you just want to see if there's like a new update or a new notification you can be engaged multiple times a day um and that is kind of that instant forum um if you step back a little bit maybe you log into the platform just every once in a while, like maybe like Facebook, if you didn't have it downloaded on your phone and you just see if there's a notification, you catch up. Um, maybe it's too much for you to be in the forum all the time. Um, we send out like the the platform we use is, does a really nice job of sending out a weekly summary of Ooh. popular comments Ooh, I like that. and like new members and um, events that are coming up. And so that's really helpful for some people that maybe are feeling a little overwhelmed mm-hmm. by all of the so there's a bit for everyone. It depends on what your, you know, what your frequency is in terms of how you want to engage. I mean, it's good that you're not forcing people to do like one or the other. Like you can't, you you choose your own level of involvement in some ways, which is really nice. I mm-hmm. really like that because interestingly, I was thinking, oh, maybe a really good segment of this episode would be, uh, you know, you guys talking me through signing up because I am, you know, clueless basically i use twitter to ask questions and that's it i do this and you talk me through it you're using a community you're using a community by accessing twitter because you're talking to conservators yes, on that's twitter that's true i was rather rather sort of strong armed into that though via the podcast so <laughs> <laughs> and i was thinking like Fair oh enough. i really like the idea of this and i should definitely be more involved to kind of further my preventive conservation knowledge and understanding and and involvement in general and then as soon as you said an app I was like oh god I can't do that oh god because that's so interesting the reason for that is the level of anxiety that Facebook messenger and whatsapp (laughs) and 
whatever the else it is linkedin now which i'm trying to do and all of these emails all of that i'm just like constant is it the notifications yeah somebody said a thing to me which app was that on i can't keep track and there's like the same sort of for the podcast right now i'm talking about it on like four or five different apps and i cannot cope so as soon as you said app i was like (laughs) my first thought was oh no and my second thought was oh that sounds convenient (laughs) actually that you have but i don't then when you started talking about you know like weekly summaries or daily summaries i thought oh actually no i could do that i could do that yeah there's a bit for everyone and i feel i feel you it's there's too much much. i'm I'm at a saturation (laughs) point (laughs) yeah i'm in the community every day well because it's my job for one but also because this is my my main focus Mm -hmm. is preventive conservation and i have felt for a while that there isn't necessarily a place to go specifically to talk about that. I mean, we I'm have definitely feeling individual, that. Yeah. We have individual forums icon or AIC and it's like very conservation mm. focused. And of course they're trying to welcome like collections care professionals, but there are more people involved in preventive conservation than just collection care professionals yeah. and conservators. Yeah. And so what's really nice about building this community and what I love so much about it is because it's free and openly available we're getting people in there like facilities managers, mount makers, Ooh. lighting designers. Uh, it's a it's a much broader community and it's really nice to, to have a place where everybody can kind of come together and, and talk about preventive. That's really nice. I like that it's broad like that because there's nothing worse than sort of the gatekeeping that is quite common in <laughs> in our profession sometimes to be yeah. like, no. What do you mean you're not a member? <laughs> not only that, like, where's your diploma? And it's like, okay, calm down. Loads <laughs> yeah. of people are interested in collections care. I'm so here for your anxiety for the notifications, oh, by the sorry. way. I'm so here for it. I shouldn't have come in with something so negative because I know that's not the point. And, <laughs> and the internet and all of this is... A, I feel like it's very it's relatable. A glorious tool. And the fact that we can, for example, plan the podcast on five separate apps is wonderful. But also, (laughs) Jesus Christ. (laughs) Yeah. Fair. What this made me think of, because sort of like you, Chloe, I sort of had the reaction of, oh, no, I don't need another app. (laughs) And I don't don't have the conserve community as an app on my phone. And I I try not to have most things as an app on my phone, actually, because I feel very overwhelmed Mm. by uh, constant notifications and stuff like that slightly perplexingly in an almost mindfulness sort of bizarre ritual i think i build in engaging with communities specifically as part of my job i can do that because i'm self-employed i guess but i only access them on my laptop the work laptop but i do it daily and for me that's like a set number of websites that i go in and check and i engage with because i feel like that's part of my core purpose is to talk to people about conservation that's core to what I want to do as a business professional and like as as a conservator. So it is part of what I do every single day. So so I purposefully make that part of my usually morning ritual. Is that weird? Yeah, you've been incredibly engaged in the community. It's been really valuable having met you there, Jenny. Like really, great. I was not fishing for compliments. But thank <laughs> you. No, but it's true. Like you, ha- you've been asking really great conversation starters, and I think people have been enjoying the conversation and the collegiality of like meeting other people. It's been fun having you there. That is good. Thanks. That's so nice. (laughs) And that's such a good idea because you, it's like, I'm trying to think of a more sensible, more sensible example. But I can't. Where's this going? I was going to say it's like not checking your phone in bed. It is a bit like that. Yes. So you you keep your work outside 
Yeah, the work is for the work. Yeah, that means you actually engage more because you set time, you value it enough to set time aside. Whereas, because my all of my notifications, my work emails, and everything are on my phone, it's like a constant Ugh. low level of being too overwhelmed by all of it to actually engage in it so if anybody's asked me a question on twitter for example that's why i haven't given you an answer i'm thinking about it constantly but it doesn't mean i can respond to you (laughs) (laughs) oh one of the core messages that i learned from the the community consultant i worked with is to just ask how can i help as often as possible and to like find people and you know respond as much as you can but also just to to see if there are ways that you can help and that's one of the strongest things that you can do to build a community and is there a difference do you find between developing a community with professionals in mind or with like the worried layperson with a broken object does that feel different in your mind or is this more anyone's welcome? Yeah, good question. We are welcoming anyone mm-hmm. and it is hard to find a little bit of a balance because there are certainly people in there that are just getting their feet wet in this area yeah. or they're coming from the public. Um, but also there are some people that are very seasoned in preventive conservation and are looking for a place to communicate with each other. So, you know, we encourage deeper conversations, you know, get into the nitty gritty of the science. But um, I, you know, I try to chime in every once in a while and kind of explain things a little bit if that's helpful for people. We we do a monthly ask me anything and we we find like a topic like light or facilities management or sustainability and conservation and we bring in an expert and the the way we frame it is we ask questions um in preparation for the actual ama format like so that there are things that like everyone can benefit from and how they answer like just like a broad overview of everything but if people have like nitty-gritty questions of course they answer those too it is a tricky balance because we're also trying to bring in the community con code. I'm not sure if you've ever been no. aware of con code. No. This is a, a in 2020 a few uh, a few colleagues and I started a, another community called Con Code, which was conservators coding, and it's people that were interested in doing like data analytics, data science, coding, cool. that sort of thing, and like how we can like. But it's pretty much defunct at this point because nobody had the time to keep um, running Mm -hmm. it. We were doing like monthly webinars and it was just it was a little overwhelming. So now that I've formed this, I have this fully formed role at Conserve, we're really interested in trying to find a space for those folks in this community as well. So I'm trying to, you know, generate some topics that might be of interest of people that relate to um data science maybe we'll create like a separate channel for it but um, we'll eventually be trying to incorporate that because it it does relate to preventive conservation data science is at the core of preventive conservation so oh that's really cool when we started promoting it we had about 600 members oh, from a wow. wow that's a wild start that's amazing and it was so awesome looking at all the introductions of people that you know i've I come from this computer science background and I found about found out about conservation and I've been wondering for a way to like bring those interests together or maybe people have been doing these little like separate little projects doing data science work. Um, there's so much we can do with data and conservation that we are just not taking advantage of. So um, there was definitely definitely hit a nerve there with that one. I think people were really interested in com- communing about that. So if we get back to the community. 
How do you get into it? Or what would you say to people who are absolutely not online? I mean, they have access to emails because that's how we live now. But people who have never really taken part in forums, people who take, get their emails, but they're, you know, maybe they go on the Icon website every so often and that's sort of it, but they want to. On some level, I feel like usually those sorts of people start as lurkers. So oh. they'll sort of see a community and start sort of watching it from afar. Yes. Like they won't have a Twitter account, but they'll load up Twitter and look at it and go, I don't understand this. And sort of, there's sort of a gradual thing of then they might make an account, then they're like a beginner. Uh, and then they might actually start tweeting or asking someone a question and putting up a profile picture and then they become a user, like truly. And it's it's sort of like a mm -hmm. progression for a lot of communities where it sort of starts as looking at something from the outside, then sort of joining and then sort of actually becoming a member. And then, you know, like it can also be a, Sometimes you have to do a harder onboarding for people. Right. Okay. And I suppose that's another aspect that I'm thinking of. Yeah, because sometimes something is so new or something is so... It's not well established in the sector enough to be a, an instantly understandable, useful tool. I think Twitter is at long last something that people sort of vaguely understand or aren't afraid of. It's very widely yeah. used in the conservation community. Yeah, yeah. To my annoyance at this point, because... Twitter has become a problematic platform, <laughs> but um, that's a separate topic. But a lot of us will probably use Facebook, even if we don't use Facebook groups very heavily. But like some some platforms seem safer than mm. others or have been around for a long time, like the Dist List and now the Global Conservation Forum, that there's a certain amount of like knowledge of its existence and that it could be useful. As for some things, you really need to hard onboard people with. And that can look differently for different things. Sometimes people just launch something and hope for the best. And that sometimes does not work at all, which is unfortunate because sometimes I really want it to work, but it doesn't. Do you have an example um, I, of something not working? Um, or would you rather just not? No, no, no. I'm thinking of uh, Icon had a Discord server for a short amount of time. Oh, right. Di Discord being another one of these platforms that's uh, uh, used a lot in the gaming community, for example, and a lot with younger audiences. And like, uh, yeah, a lot of online communities exist on Discord. Right. It didn't really take off. There were people there and it was, from my point of view, a useful space for the short amount of time it existed. But it didn't have the traction that I think Icon wanted to see at the time. Mm. So it was shut down, which is, is bit of a shame because there was some really good information on there and like people having really useful conversations uh, and I'm a bit sad that they, they are no longer available but such is the ephemeral world of the internet sometimes that you just can't yeah. you know keep everything. Just talking a little bit about platforms for ConCode we had used Slack and ah. And that's what we, that's, it's really designed for like workplace communication. And that's yeah. what it's, it's really great for. It's not ideal for building communities because the pricing model is like a price per user. So you'd have to pay more as you grow the community. And <laughs> we had a con code Slack and they've archived all of our messages. And it's just, it's kind of a bummer. The app that we use is called circle.so. And I really, really love it because it, it feels familiar it, it, I don't know if you would agree, Jenny, but it kind of looks like Facebook, like the colors. It's bright. You like reply. It's that you can use emojis. There's GIFs. Um, it's user friendly. It is very user friendly. And what I really like about it is there are a lot of opportunities for things that we can do in there. Like there's a learning management system platform in there. So I just created a free online course. But like maybe sometime down the road, we have 
like a marketplace of preventive conservation courses that other people create. And they'll all be in there with like short videos and lessons. It's a pretty great uh, platform. I really, I really enjoy it. And just be, and also just because it, it can do those summary emails and there's like a live chat function if we wanted to do like, we, at one point we were doing like, like a reading group where we like picked a, Aww. we picked a article to read before and we jumped on a, a like a live call together and we That's like, such just, a good idea. Yeah. I got to start that up again, but I just got to pick a good article, but like, yeah, it's just like a, like a reading group or maybe just a, just a fun networking chat, just to talk about preventive conservation topics and meet other people. Um, so there's just, there's a lot you can do in there and I really appreciate it for that. It's a bit beefier than say having a Facebook group because in a sort of Facebook group, it, you, you got the group, that's it. Like you post to it and people reply to your posts. So it's, I don't know, it's it's beefier than that because you can do more with it. Uh, in a group, you sort of don't have different categories that you can post under and stuff like that. It's a bit more limited. Um, I don't know why I went with Facebook group. I think it's just because it's something I think that a lot of people use yeah. <laughs> ultimately. So they're sort of vaguely familiar with it. I would love to see some of those professional organizations like move to a platform like this that's a little more engaging and a little less formal, but maybe that's not possible in a professional organization. I just, I, I don't mm -hmm. know about you, but I mean, and maybe this was like from my life as like an emerging conservator, I, I've emerged now. So, <laughs> but, but that, back when I was fresh, um, I was really worried about posting yep. on some of those forums. It was, yeah, yeah. yeah. I was like afraid I was going to say the wrong thing yep. and, you know, who's going to see this? I have a thought on this. Oh, please, because I feel exactly the same way. If no one else is talking, I'm like, oh, I can't. No. It's just that, like the mood of this is summarised by a really ancient printed out piece of paper that was up on the notice board in Cardiff Conservation's like corridor uh, outside of the labs. And it was how not to post on this list. And it was basically like, not a screenshot, but it probably, probably, I hope, a made up example of someone, Joe Blogs, you know, like posting a really simple question and how it was, how basically the whole message was, don't ask questions, do not ask things. <laughs> you should have looked up the answer yourself. <laughs> and, and whilst there's a certain amount of don't ask other people to do your research for you, it really meant that none of us wanted to ever post a question maybe on that's where this is we coming from <laughs> always bricking it that someone would think that we were bad people and that's not at all what it's about and i feel like i think we all feel a bit freer on mm, twitter for yes. example within certain parameters we don't want to look unprofessional but at the same time there's there's a there's an aspect there of being able to ask a question and hoping that someone can throw something useful back to you because they're from mm. your professional sphere. But you're asking it in public, so it might be a little bit too embarrassing. So you're still censoring yourself a bit. Maybe in like a closed Facebook group, you you feel more at home with asking a specific a more specific question that might be embarrassing to you professionally. But at the same time, I don't really see that because I I think people police themselves really hard. Yeah. I think people. Yeah, either they're shy or they feel like that stuff isn't encouraged. It might be that it's been policed in the past so that like basically moderators have said, no, no questions of that nature or we only post this here. But it's really hard to say. So it, it's sort of about how friendly you make the platform. And I guess that's what I like about the conserve one is that it's really friendly because that's, that's surely the whole point is that you should feel free to this ask is questions. The, yeah, if you don't feel yeah. like you can ask something, then there's no point. 
I suppose if yeah. it's things like Twitter, it depends entirely on how one individual uses Twitter. So I'm not frightened, for example, but I would never post something on Facebook. But some people feel just total opposite about that. And I think that's probably because yeah. the people who follow me on Twitter often know me because of the podcast and I've sort of broken down all of those professional boundaries already. Whereas on, you know, on Facebook, people are like, this person was a student. What do you mean they don't know the answer to this question? Does that make sense? <laughs> I do mostly use it for like the groups, the various yeah. groups I'm a member mm. of. But even then, not very many conservation-based ones because there aren't that many as far as I know. I think I'm a member of like the alumni one and then there's like a freelancers in conservation one and there's like a art uh, conservation advocates or something like that i know the um, icons and have facebook groups but they're not yeah that sounds particularly right. they don't respond very well okay so they're not super active is that what you're saying not super active yeah well i got a i asked i'm not gonna out the individual group i asked a group a question and i got an automatic reply and i was like oh, okay this is a really well set up thing so that i you know i know that oh, there's nothing just nothing <laughs> Oh, um, yeah. yeah. Stop being maintained. Yeah, exactly. Which is a real shame. I've posted on AIC and somebody found my phone number and called me and told me that I gave a wrong answer. What? And what? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I would I would never say who it was, but it 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 was it definitely scared me from posting. Wow. Why didn't they that's... just say on the post like actually I believe that's incorrect? That's a lot. <laughs> yeah, I I'm I'm feeling a little brave. I think more brave now that I've emerged. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um yeah. and I will post every once in a while, but I but it does like there is kind of this like palpitation mm. that I feel right before I hit send. I'm like, have I like tri double triple checked it? Like does this the right thing? It's like thing? standing up in a and conference. Then after I post it. <sighs> Personally, I mean the community the community I'm managing like I feel really comfortable posting, but you know, maybe that's just a product of me being the one that's leading it. But I, I'd be really curious to know how like other members of the community feel if, if they're nervous about posting. Cause it's, it's, it's definitely possible. I mean, I, there are some quote unquote big names mm. in there. And so like, you know, there might be some concern about somebody saying the wrong thing, especially maybe like a pre-program student who's trying to get into graduate school or, you know, I mean, I, I don't know if those anxieties still exist. Um, within our community. It's very possible, but I have tried to remedy that by telling people that they can message me with anonymous questions if they want as well. I have noticed bolder questions on things like Reddit because people can make a throwaway account really easily or have a username that's like completely, you know, like it's very anonymous. Is that like there's no rules on Reddit kind of thing? Not quite. The dark web. Uh, it's, mm. it's, not, <laughs> it's not like a complete <laughs> Wild West, guys. <laughs> But I think people, because they they can pick a username that doesn't have anything mm. to do with their like uh, actual identity, I think people are perhaps a little bit more bold in what they can ask. That isn't necessarily to say that no one's giving bad advice or anything like that, although people might be a little bit more candid than they would have been otherwise. Mm -hmm. Maybe the level of bravery is different um, depending on how, how it is. <laughs> I wonder if it would be fun if you were to both talk me through signing up to this online community i can just tell you the address right now if you wanted to look at it so it's community.conserve.io that's community.conserve.io oh conserve is a gathering place for the conservation the preservation community yes and there's a little shaky hand emoji <laughs> i'm guessing i sign up 
Yeah, there's a login. Yes. Uh, I think there's a sign up yeah, button at the top, right? Log in or sign up. Everything's gorgeously purple. Sign up with an email. Click. You don't have to join the community. You can lurk. Yeah. Oh. You can just look at it. If you reach a point where somebody's asked a question and you and you must join to answer, like you just reach that point where you're like, okay, I gotta sign up. <laughs> like, um, I get. I guess that's kind of how I imagine it happening with some people as they're like yeah. lurking around and they're like, oh, I want to respond to this. Oh, I gotta log in. I mean, that's a pretty natural progression. I think it always has been for like how communities work. Like, there's a certain amount you can look at from the outside. Welcome. Let's start by creating your profile. Okay, this is gonna take a while. No, it isn't. <laughs> it's quite easy. Headline. What's it? What do you mean by headline? So it's full name Chloe Rumsey. Do I need to? I'm not uploading a well, photo. What's like a like a your brand message. <laughs> like who are you? What's, oh my what God. are you about? What is my? Somebody tell me, Jenny. What's my brand message? <laughs> Confused by technology. <laughs> Don't put that. Don't put that. <laughs> oh, it's cute. Okay, so it's a little bit for those listening at home in their discomfort with tech. It's just like signing up to Twitter, really, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's pretty standard. It's pretty much like signing up to any service online, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, it's it's not scarier than making an email address or a Twitter account. It's it's okay. Like, if you've done any of those things, then you're all right. I've done a extremely sparse account, what's it? And now I've got, hey, Chloe, welcome to Conserve Community. Have a look around <laughs> our spaces. And when you already start contributing with posts and comments, enjoy, exclamation mark. And then there's community guidelines. It's so <laughs> cute. No, I do not want notifications. <laughs> <laughs> this is the thing, though. Like, you've really spent time thinking about how to make yeah. this less corporate, yeah. more friendly. And I really appreciate that because as an industry or like a heritage sector, we uh, tend to default hard on being really Mm -hmm. formal, which is quite (laughs) off-putting for Mm -hmm. a lot of people. It's been so much fun. I love working on this. (laughs) Like, if that's all I could do, I would I would do it. (laughs) I was just going to say, if anyone is tempted to do this as a, as you know, they're going out into the big, big wild world of doing something on the internet, which is how I feel about the internet, which is ridiculous. I'm you know the generation i'm the same generation as jenny and she's like (laughs) all of this know-how and i'm like um is it sewing then no (laughs) Uh, (laughs) yeah so i've got welcome to the conserve community and then my first week checklist and on the side there's a sort of navigation bar with the different um pages i suppose are these are these Channels. channels thank you excellent I like the first week checklist of basically encouraging you to do things because otherwise I would do the lurking thing. I probably will lurk anyway. But you you can say hi to people. It's encouraged. What would you suggest I do as the first thing on here? Well, I was going to say it'd be great if you could introduce yourself. Oh, God. Okay. (laughs) There's an introductions Ah! channel and it's just just where people say (laughs) hi. Okay, click. Just where people say hi. It's not so bad. Oh, there's a photo of somebody. I love it, but I'm not doing that myself. You can add a, a GIF. You can add a cover photo. I'm gonna, um, how interesting is this for audio content? Can I tag people in this? Yeah, you just do the at. Oh, uh, like normal internet in. things. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> 
Where, where are you from? Yeah, you can give some geographic information. That's always a good one. People always want to know where people are based. Yeah. That's a hot tip for anyone who wanting to sign up and introduce themselves. I think we did also give some prompts if, if you weren't sure what to say. Um, I'm all out of inspiration. I work in Manchester as a textile and objects conservator. What, what, what now? Can you just say something encouraging so that people don't think you're scary? Because you're not yeah. scary. Uh, <laughs> how does one say that? I'll, I will, yeah, publish post. Well done. Thank you. <laughs> I see it. People are very nice. Yeah. Yay. I liked it. And that's, that's all it is. <laughs> and you can like people's posts and you can comment on them. Super cute. Like the LinkedIn chat, but cute. Yeah. yeah and more cute. fun. Um, we'll pop uh, a link in the show notes, of yes. course, uh, so that anyone who's interested in yes. checking it out can check it out. It's super easy. Uh, it's super easy. Yeah. It's not even as stressful as signing up to Twitter. It's very low stress. It's good. Uh, and you can look at it as much or as little as you would like. And you can use the app or you can use the uh, desktop version like I do or like the web browser version even. Uh, because that's that's how I roll. I guess the thing about a platform like this is they can be a little bit more in-depth and long-form than something you ask on Twitter because obviously because of the uh, character limitations, mm. of course, you can do a whole thread explaining your problem. But Twitter is more for like short-form questions that are easy and succinct. As for here, you can you can explain what you're thinking or what you've tried or what the problem is or where you're coming mm-hmm. from with something. And you can give enough context that it works. And people can give quite long elaborate replies as well if someone wants to do a couple of paragraphs to try to explain something to you then it totally can it's allowed which i like because it, it does mean that there's more scope for actually understanding a problem sort of thing or like actually giving someone some solid advice i still have this vain hope that i really hope that at some point there can be like a conservation uh, instance of mastodon on the fediverse because that's sort of a rival to twitter at this point um it's a sort of a different a different platform again in terms of social media and it works a little bit differently but is similar enough that it isn't really jarring transition i would love to see that i'm currently on like a glam based one which is galleries libraries archives museums if uh, people aren't familiar with the abbreviation uh that's called glamorous oh. which i really enjoy but it's there aren't very many conservators on mm. there and the conservators I have found have been on different servers again, uh, sort of scattered around the more general servers. And I would actually love to see one that's just for conservators and collections care people. That will be super amazing and cool. But you do need a little bit of money to run a server. Uh, so it is one of those things where like, well, it has cost implications like most things do. But I would love to see that because it's Mastodon and the Fediverse are sort of, again, it's more community focused than it is, than Twitter is in some ways. Uh, someone put it really well the other day. They said that being on Twitter is like standing in New York City and you're hearing absolutely everything and there's all these people around you. As for being on Mastodon is sort of like being in a sleepy little town where like you've got a community around you and you sort of know your neighbors. And I sort of enjoyed That's that. That's perfect. I was hoping I could just make a mention that uh, we are about to hire somebody to help manage the oh, community too. So that's oh, cool. That's going to be on the horizon. It's going to be a customer success manager. So like they'll be helping with support and also working with our customers, helping them get set up with their yeah. hardware and, and look, look at their data with them and help them, you know, be better stewards of their environment. But a big part of that role will be he- to help grow the community. So that's that's one thing that I wanted to mention. Oh, nice. Oh, yeah, super cool. Brilliant. 
One other thing, if possible, is the Conserve Awards, the, Pre- the Preventive Conservation Awards. Oh, we yeah. are offering uh, $1,000 for a preventive conservation project on a quarterly basis, and we accept four award winners every quarter. So that's something that is judged by three panels, um, collections-focused panelists. Jenny was a panelist in the past, and she reviewed applications. Um, but that's something that we're going to continue to offer um, just to support preventive conservation activities. That's fantastic. And we do see that also as part of community building, too, because we're, yeah. you know, helping, helping each other, you know. So Yeah, exactly. Jenny from the editing room here. Uh, just to say that I managed to get two lovely interviews uh, after we recorded this episode. So, um, yeah, here we go. Have some interviews, people. Hi, I'm Sarah Marsum. I'm a heritage resource consultant based in Ohio, but I have the pleasure of working across North America with a variety of organizations to help them achieve their goals tied to preserving or conserving physical and intangible elements of the past. Um, I do a lot of work tied to strategic planning and education outreach, specifically identifying deficiencies and working to find ways to remedy and solve them in a forward-looking approach that doesn't necessarily align with our historically institutional frameworks. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today. Happily. What's what's been your experience of things like community building online and making friends online, as you put it, which I really enjoyed? <laughs> I always joke that I'm a child of MySpace. MySpace, you know, emerged when I was in high school and I still have great friends that I made from the internet then. I'd like to think I'm more thoughtful about how I utilize the internet now as a person in their 30s. But In terms of someone who works in the heritage resource or cultural sector, however you choose to define that, working with museums and nonprofits and other cultural institutions, I've really used the internet a few different ways. Five, six, seven years ago, I was asked to become an administrator for a group called Historic Preservation Professionals on Facebook, and it has close to 7,000 members. Wow. I was the second admin brought on after the founder, and we've grown it from around 2,000 to where it is today, and we've got individuals from around the world who choose to define themselves as a professional historic preservationist. Some people do artifacts conservation. Some people do heritage interpretation. It really spans the gamut, which I think is reflective of how I choose to build my online community in conservation. We don't want to operate in a little silo where we're only talking to people within our specialties. We want to see all the different people ways different people are working in this field to ensure we have a the broadest network possible and also the broadest scope of knowledge possible. I've tried to find ways to utilize digital spaces to build upon in-person. We love an in-person networking event, but you leave the event and then how do you stay in touch with people? Mm. Sometimes it's one-on-one, but how do we use a group like this Facebook group Or I started a Discord um, server in 2022 as a space where 
you know, there's an added level of anonymity you can have on Discord than on Facebook because you can have a user handle that doesn't reflect your actual professional name. Yeah, so we have about close to 300 members on that now. It's slow growing and that's... That's a good number though. Yeah, it's a good number and it was a way to build upon in-person and physical events that I have tied to a passion project called Dismantle Preservation, which works to advocate for change in our workplace. Um, It's specifically been tied to raising awareness for conversations on mental health and unions and workplace conditions. And so when people are having those kinds of uncomfortable conversations, they want an online group where maybe they can have a level of anonymity. I think that's a fair enough point. And I think that's one of the reasons that I quite like hanging on Reddit, to be honest. I guess people can be a bit candid in a way that I appreciate. I think, I think when I brought that up on the show, I think people felt like, oh, people are like, like people are shit posting or something. And it's like, it's, no, not at all. I think it's just that people feel freer maybe to express something when it's not like directly super obvious where they are. Yes, I could not agree more. It's an easier way to seek feedback, to seek advice. Um, I will say as an admin of a large Facebook group, though, there are most certain Certainly some people who are not afraid to say what's on their mind and not afraid to disparage others in the field, which I think is a very interesting networking approach. It sure is. (laughs) We have had to ban and block practitioners due to their behavior in that online group. But that's that's the role of being a moderator is they're sort of it, it is difficult because you do want to encourage people to be able to have those conversations. But also you gotta safeguard everyone as well, to make sure that it's a friendly space where you can have conversations without anyone, you know, having to cry into the pillow at night. Yeah, being a moderator is difficult and more time consuming than people would assume. I will say that it has allowed me as an individual to have a level of comfort with people that I may not otherwise because people see me as a moderator who can stand up for them on the internet or create a safe space. So I will get, you know, private messages of people expressing how they feel about people offline, online, lots of interesting support tied to advocacy, tied to workers' rights in general, for how do we advocate for change without retribution and how by establishing specific rules in a group, such as every job has to be shared with compensation, people feel supported in having those conversations or feel supported to make change at home or have the tools to make the change just by us raising a standard in an online group. It is interesting. It does have ripple effects. That's the thing. And also giving people the sort of confidence to even like talk about these things in a group online then can, you know, build their confidence to talk about them in a workplace in person. So that's also a really nice thing about communities is that they really help build people up, which I I think is one of the big benefits uh, of communities like this existing. And when we think about our field, a lot of us will work for small nonprofits or we work for a small consulting group. It's great to have these online communities to just normalize conversations, but also just to feel like you're not an island because many of us have felt like we're an island at some point on our path in this field. 
Yeah, exactly. And I think going back to what you were saying about being a moderator, it it is a type of leadership. And I think that's that's another valuable thing that may, maybe it, like it gives you leadership skills that you might not have gotten in other ways, perhaps. I wholeheartedly believe that being a moderator has developed my communication skills in a way that I wouldn't have been able to develop otherwise because you really have to focus on how are you being diplomatic? How are you being fair? How are you not letting your bias influence your judgment? If a post is being reported, how are you consistently being there, being supportive? And it has opened professional opportunities for me that I never would have expected. People will see me as the moderator and Myself and Adrian Burke, who's the founder of the group, we are very active moderators. So we will get invited to join committees or groups, or I've been asked to apply for jobs because of being a moderator on this group. That's so cool. Yeah. And that's something you would never expect, right? I just joined it because I was like, this seems like a great way to network up, down, all around, and not just to be networking with people who live in my state or my region, as someone who consults, I like to work across the country and that requires a large network and the internet allows me to have that. One of the um, communities that I really appreciate that is a bit of a different spin of an online community is the National Council on Public History allows all of its different members to do a takeover of their Instagram. It's been such a nice way to have more of an in-depth learning of someone else's work, how they choose to present themselves and communicate. And I've made great connections through there. Um, there's a number of organizations like National Council on Public History or Parlor. They're based in Australia and they're more tied to architectural conservation architecture. But, you know, they allow these takeovers and that's a different type of community building. Um, but it's still a really nice way to do it. I guess that's what I love about the internet is that there are so many different ways of communicating. Like a community doesn't have to look the same way at all. Like there are all sorts of different platforms that you can build communities on and they can look different for different groups. And I guess that's the really beautiful thing about it. And I loved watching how Twitter started to implode but didn't fully and how that was a real shakeup in terms of people considering how these communities give them platforms for relationships. And that reiterated, there are so many wonderful online spaces for us to exist. And the trouble that I was narrowing down, which ones make the most sense for your time and energy to follow. I'm not on TikTok and I'm not on Mastodon. So most of my energy goes to Discord, Reddit, and Instagram and Facebook. And I pop in and out of Twitter as I have the energy. But I think I think it's just a really important point for people to recognize you can't be everywhere on the Internet with it being so vast. Um, but you should be aware of what exists and feel comfortable to pop in and out and figure out what is comfortable for you. You can join a community. But you don't have to be the, the person who posts every day. You can come and go. That is absolutely fine. Yes. On the flip side, as someone who's trying to host groups, you know, like Melissa with Conserve or me with my Discord or even the Facebook group, you know, when you're wanting 
trying to build that community, it can be so frustrating when the all, you have lots of lurkers who are quiet. But that just encourages you to think through how you engage the community in a way that makes people feel comfortable speaking and not just lurking. But I do think it's imperative for our professional bodies as well as grassroots organizers to continually try and experiment with these online networks because not everyone can spend the thousand, two thousand plus dollars to go to an in-person event. So how do we make this field accessible? And that's through digital content and digital spaces. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, If there's anyone listening out there who would like to grow the community they already have or start one or feel like they would like to maybe be a moderator or similar, do you have any advice to them? Um, So I recommend talking to your peers, of course, where are they online that maybe you haven't considered And if you found a group that you feel comfortable in and you would like to take a leadership role, directly reach out to the existing moderators and see what structure they have for intaking people. Some um, online groups do a call once or twice a year to invite people to join other people, um, just passively collect additional moderators It all varies wildly based on the spaces. Um, But I really recommend if you're trying to find ways to grow an online conversation, an online group, is to set specific times for specific conversations. So, for example, in my Discord um, last summer, we had every Tuesday in June and August, we had a conversation around a specific topic and we'll be doing set time conversations again this year. We've done everything from ask me anything with professionals to more broad conversations on ethical quandaries. So don't be afraid to experiment. Not everything is going to be a home run. Sometimes you'll get like three people who show up, but then you're getting to really know three people and nothing's wrong with that. Thank you so much for sharing your knowledge with us today, Sarah. That was really nice to hear about. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. We've been talking about community building and different platforms that we can use and that sort of thing. And to, I don't know, to help help add a little bit of banter around that, I'm here with a special guest. Would you like to introduce yourself to our listeners? Uh, hi, folks. Uh, I'm Sarah Krotz. I am Icon's Chief Executive. Thanks so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. In the episode, I mentioned that Icon had a Discord server and things like that. So I thought we could maybe talk a little bit about different things that Icon has tried, because I think it's really cool that Icon has tried different platforms and different approaches to how to how to build an online community or sort of foster conversation in a in a different way than just meeting in person. Not that there's anything just about that, but for a bit there, it wasn't really possible. <laughs> True. I, I like the way you said um, sort of fostering conversations. Um, I suspect that as soon as you say a phrase like online platform or online community, there's a certain type of person that just doesn't think, oh, that's something I want to dive into. And I think we have been quite consciously trying to foster conversations. And you're right, we have tried various things. And any, any new ideas that, that whiz past uh, my desk, we think, oh, what could I think about that? Is it worth a shot? Because you just 
don't know what might capture a, a group of people's interest and what might suit them, mm. like what might not. And because there's no real risk in starting any of these things other than somebody needs to put a bit of time into it, it's quite easy yeah. actually just to try and see, but then to say, well, actually, did that do what we wanted it to do? Should we move on? Should we try mm-hmm. something else? And you know, any ideas are worth exploring, I think, if it helps people to communicate. No, I agree with that. You know, even though the Discord server isn't around anymore, for example, it's a popular platform, that sort of thing. And it was a different way of doing things, which I quite I quite enjoyed. And as I recall, it was born sort of out of uh, lockdown and people not being able to meet and finding a different way of communicating, really, wasn't it? I'm glad we offered it. And it was very much the suggestion of Cynthia, who at the time was our digital content officer, because she used it in um, a, a different context in her own life. And... It had the potential. It possibly wasn't the most user-friendly platform. Um, And it was interesting that some people did grasp it. And I think you were one of them, Jenny, if I recall. But I wonder now, looking back, if there was quite a crossover with our audience on social media. Mm, Yeah. Knowing that the active community on social media isn't that large, perhaps it's not a surprise that the active community on um, Discord didn't turn out to be an awful lot different. Some of the things that other people tried, like the the socials, so uh, Sustainability Network does socials. Uh, during COVID, uh, Book and Paper Group, I think, did quite a few socials. I think Textiles Group did as well. They perhaps were more popular because it was a, a longer form of conversation. There was more of an interaction and a, a group sense as well. But this is this is based on precisely no research or actual knowledge. It's <laughs> instinct and guesswork. That's fine. We're not that scientific in this episode at all, really. It's based on our experiences as they usually are. I think you're right in that it was sort of the, this sort of a similar cross section of people maybe attending both. Because how do you get people on board to a new platform? It's really hard, especially if, if it might be something that's new and a bit scary. I mean, it's taken conservatives quite a long time to be on Twitter, to be honest, like to sort of truly embrace the platform and stuff like that. And loads, loads of people aren't on social media at all or don't like tech things necessarily and that sort of thing. So it, it's always going to be like a rocky onboarding, I think, with anything that's tried. Um, but that isn't to say it's not worth trying, right? It's, it's anything is an experiment. I did think there were some really good conversations that were being had on that server, for sure. And I think people were a mix of a little bit braver because... They knew they were asking people who were members and not, like it couldn't be seen by the general public. And I think there was actually like a a bonus. You were talking to other Icon members. You weren't necessarily talking to all of Twitter. In some ways, it was a little bit secret club sort of getting the treehouse sort of vibe. But <laughs> at the same time, it was probably a safe space for people to like ask questions about, you know, insurance or like things that feel a little bit heavier, maybe. So like, I think it was a, a safe space for those sorts of conversations, which is nice because those conversations are rem- remarkably hard to have sometimes. I think you're right. I think people do value that very much. And I suspect that some of that does happen within our special interest groups. So, mm, yeah. you know, although they are perhaps, so let's pick um, archaeology just for a, a change, a change of group. So they, the focus of those webinars or meetings might be archaeology, but you can be pretty sure that in the margins there will be a conversation about, I don't know, as you say, insurance or marketing or are you having a terrible experience with your bank or whatever it happens to be. So yeah. I think a lot of that is still happening informally in some mm. of those other spaces that exist, just it just doesn't have that label on it. 
Uh, so another platform that Icon has used has been Basecamp, which I shamefully forgot about completely in the rest of the, the main body of this episode. <laughs> it's only because you reminded me that I was like, oh, yeah, and I wasn't even a member of that. Oh, Jesus. It's been a long old year sometimes. <laughs> Basecamp was, that started from a different idea in that just over a year ago now when the the horrible situation in Ukraine kicked off and absolutely unsurprisingly people got in touch with me saying how can we help yeah i knew immediately that it, we as an organization don't have the resources to be a kind of central focus for things we just there's just not enough of us but that it might be possible to find a way to help members talk directly to other members who might be in a position to put some time and energy into things and as a very much spur of the moment idea, I think if I'm very honest, uh, my brain remembered a thing called Basecamp mm. uh, because I had used it to do a different kind of a collaborative work for a different kind of organisation. And so I, I, I very quickly had a look at the platform, realised that if we invested a, a modest financial uh, sum in the system, we could make it available to people. And again, it was on that basis of, well, we can set this up. It's going to take me an hour or two to get the basics in place and then we offer it to people and they make of it as they will and it actually was I would say pretty successful mm. so we had three Ukraine focused groups or teams I think they're called on, on base count one about guidance one about um, materials and one about supporting people coming over as refugees and it meant that there could just be very direct conversations between two three four or more people who were trying to fix a particular thing or do a particular thing. And it didn't require moderation by ICON staff. It didn't require other people to put resources into it. And I think that as a model actually worked really well and some good work was done. Some um, There were some outputs. It fizzled in the end, but I think that says more about the nature of dealing with crises and that most of us mm. like time and energy at that moment in time to, to react, to get involved, to do things, but then maintaining that over a longer spell of time becomes difficult. So it, it, it still exists, those groups are still running, but the the media energy, I think, has gone out of it, particularly as people realise that the war in Ukraine is not something that's going to come to an end anytime soon, disappointing though that may be, and, and, and awful for all those concerned. And then that just tells you that the resources in the entire sector are actually spread very thin, that we can mobilise quickly and put it, there's a sort of bright heat of reacting to a situation, but we're all struggling to keep the day job going and therefore actually some things with the best will in the world and um, people's motivations are absolutely amazing in, in, in wanting to, to respond. Um, life, life probably intervenes and day job intervenes and uh, these things sort of slow down a bit. But it's still there. It still exists. People can use it. It can be reinvigorated another day, if need be. Yeah. It was interesting to me because I'd never used Basecamp before to sort of see sort of the different ways it worked and sort of how, yeah, just using a different platform. I mean, honestly, even if you as a conservator have never used a platform before and it's like, oh, this seems new and confusing, it is generally I think it's possibly just good for your brain and for your confidence to sort of go in and, and try something new and look at it and figure it out or ask for help if you need to and just, just have a look at it because it might be that it's a tool that you want to add to your regular roster of collaborative tools, for example, and yeah. stuff like that. It it could be that it becomes a new favourite. You just don't know until you try it. There are so many different 
uh, ways of working and ways of talking to people. And these things have definitely got better in that they are more user-friendly. They're not intimidating. You can't break them. You can't really do yeah. anything wrong. Um, yeah. And there's usually a delete button somewhere, you know. <laughs> yeah. uh, do you think Icon will be experimenting more with these sorts of things in the future? I think it's good for us all to be aware of tools that exist to make hopefully our lives a little bit easier, a little bit more collaborative. But there's always scope to try new things. I you, you may not be aware, but I for the last year or so, in the, in the interest of furthering conversations, we do have in the diary every month, but at the moment it's called Chief Executive Drop-In. There is something nice about just having a, a little bit of scheduled online time where people can drop in and, and just share ideas or ask questions. So I've sort of been musing over whether we we slightly reinvent the chief executive drop-in session as something more like the uh, the icon coffee house mm. because there is always a need and a benefit in just having somewhere where a slightly random conversation can happen yeah um, yeah exactly the way that they can if you catch someone in a corridor or yeah i like doing those things because the invariably when we've had people drop in conversation is always interesting without fail it's interesting and sometimes it does spur one or two actions or ideas so yeah you know things come out of it they might be little seeds but you know the little seeds grow and all of a sudden something's turned into an idea i like that and it's about building relationships best done in person but you know if if that's not always possible then online is good or in social media in the virtual world is good it's continuing to engage i think is is the key thing Dear Jane, I live in South Africa and I aspire to work in heritage conservation. I'm currently in the process of trying to get more formal education, despite there being no specialised programmes in my home city. I'm entirely self-funded and work in the non-profit sector, which means that I do not have much money to spare. I did a paper conservation internship last year and I'm currently enrolled in the chemistry course tailored to conservation. I'm currently in the process of university applications for a fully funded overseas scholarship and hopefully getting more work experience. In case things don't work out, I'm thinking of learning some more craft skills such as metalwork and basic ceramics repairs through resources such as conservation textbooks and online tutorials. What do you think of learning conservation adjacent craft skills as a stopgap measure until I can manage to save enough money and or get local funding? In addition to this, I would also look at unpaid volunteering in a museum or heritage organisation, but I can't quit paid work to volunteer full-time. Dear EJ, there is a lot you can do in self-funded terms with conservation, and I think you're absolutely right that you should do associated skills rather than try to teach yourself conservation at home. I would say that you can learn a lot about conservation at home. There's loads of resources. You can follow some of the professional bodies. They offer a lot of um, training and events, and some of them you might have to pay to join, but as a student, the money shouldn't be too much considering the, the content you get. You can read things like if you look at the ICOMCC publications online, there's lots of recent papers you can read and they are all open access. 
You can look in some of the major journals like Studies in Conservation, the Journal of the American Institute of Conservation or the Journal of the Institute of Conservation. They all have some papers which are called open access. That means that you can read them for free. And there's also lots in the AICCM Bulletin, the Australian Bulletin as well. So there's plenty of these things around and you should try to read them. What I'm not sure about is kind of like home learning conservation. There's different views on this. My own view is practice makes permanent and sometimes building up habits which are not sort of corrected is almost more harmful. But your other suggestion of learning skills, I think that's great because you can learn them locally. So you've done an internship in paper conservation. So I would be in really you know, keen if you could go on a paper making course. So if you could learn how to make paper, learn about the different techniques so that you can see, you know, just how the fibers line up differently, how different inclusions might be there. That will give you a sense of how paper will work and respond. If you have other craft skills and other areas of interest, it's nicer if you can tie them to your conservation interests. Um, And I don't have too much to go on. You've got ceramics, metalwork and paper there. So that's um, universal, I think, is the way to call that. So learning some skills, if you're looking at natural history, you might learn a felting skill. You might even be able to learn some home taxidermy, although there is a lot of discussion about that. I might be able to stick a blog link on, on that. I think that I would be impressed. I've, I've done admissions for my university and people have said anything, bead making, clothes making, adapting clothes. I've seen people who have beautiful fine art portfolios. I have seen people who have lots of other skills. I'm trying to think of them all. Equipment repairs. If there was a repair cafe where you lived, where you know you repaired pieces of equipment, that would be something or helping out repairing equipment or supporting sort of furniture repairs and restoration, that would also be possible. Basically learning to use tools, learning to control your, your micro responses. If I could believe that you have good control of your fingers, you know, can control a tool or a paintbrush. Oh, calligraphy is another one I've seen and I liked. So yes, I would definitely do all those things. You're doing a online chemistry course, which sounds good. You can continue to read chemistry. I've seen things like the Khan Academy and BBC Bite Size, and I'm sure there's others where you can study extra chemistry up to sort of higher school levels. Definitely do all of those things. And then there's also the MOOCs, the massive online courses. And there's quite a lot of those things now from respectable professional bodies. So I think Ecrom have some. So you could look online. I'll try and get some links over to Jenny for these. So taking some of these online courses also show an interest. So I would say don't overthink it. Go with what you like and what you think you're skilled at, but also what's available to you. I think self-teaching conservation at home would be low on my list of priorities. Learning how to make materials or to repair materials would be much higher on my list of um, priorities. But anything that shows that you have the hand skills, some creativity, a good eye for colour, all those sorts of things would be excellent stopgap measures, as they say. I did want to say two other things. You were saying that you have to get funding, and I completely understand that. It is worth thinking about whether a single professional body membership is affordable to you and whether you think that will unlock more funding or more opportunities. Have a little read, think about what grants they support and what messages it says about you if you can afford to join at an entry level. And then the last thing is networking. So 
not long after your message came in, I noticed a colleague on an, on one of the Facebook groups saying that she wanted to network more and she's a paper conservator in South Africa. So this is Monique and I've contacted Monique and she'd be certainly happy to talk with you. And I don't know how far apart you are. She's in Johannesburg, if that's of any interest. And she is open to a discussion with you about visiting and or volunteering. And obviously, I can't set that up because I don't know where you are. But I think the message is that conservation is a lovely profession. So get into things like LinkedIn. I mean, you know, is LinkedIn fun? No. Is LinkedIn useful? Yes. So join LinkedIn. Look for people who have connections and interests. Get yourself into the networks like the IIC network and um, the, the South African Museums Association networks, for example, because they have lots of great resources that... If I knew you were coming to volunteer with me and I knew you'd read some of the policy documents, some of the framework documents that the South African Museum Association have put out, then I would think, yeah, you're really committed to the sector and you could be really helpful. So looking for volunteering work, the last thing, and I've said this before, so I won't talk about it too much, is that there is an awful lot of virtual volunteering out there. So look for opportunities that you can do in your own time flexibly around the heritage sector. So I hope that's been some kind of help with the fully funded overseas scholarships, then obviously, again, proving an interest. So membership of professional bodies, skills and volunteering will all help your chances of getting an overseas scholarship as well, of course, really high grades in your formal education. So do as well as you can with that. Pick up recommendations and references where you can. I really hope that has been helpful. So that's over and out for me. Hey guys, it's Jenny. We love creating this podcast and sharing it with you, our awesome listeners. But it is something that we do in our own time and entirely without pay. This is especially challenging as one half of the team, i.e. me, is self-employed and I don't currently, um, I can't afford myself a salary. Um, so if you appreciate the work that we do and want to help us keep going, please, please consider becoming a patron on Patreon. Every contribution, and it can be as little as $1 per month, really helps us cover some of the costs of production uh, and helps us keep bringing you more great content. You can head over to patreon.com slash the C word and give as much or as little as you want or can. It is so appreciated and it makes more of a difference than you can even begin to imagine. Making each episode can take, can take up to three working days and that is a lot of time to not do something that will bring me money and put food on the table. So it is really, really appreciated. Thank you so much. Speaking of which, we actually have some great new patrons. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, a warm welcome to Emma and Tine. Thank you so much for joining us. You are amazing people. Every one of our patrons are. And every one of our listeners are as well. So even if you can't help us, we love that you're there for us. Thanks for listening. We're The C Word and you've been listening to Melissa King, Chloe Rumsey and me, Jen Mathiasen. Join us next time for an episode about accreditation. In the meantime, check out our website at theseaword.show, tweet us at theseawordpodcast, or simply email us on theseawordpodcast at gmail.com. The intro and outro music is Spring by Dede Music, used under Creative Commons Attribution License. Additional music and sound effects by Callum Robertson. This has been a Wooden Dice production.
LinkedIn is very serious. LinkedIn is very serious. Maybe the uh, facade is. is strong with people on LinkedIn. It's such a broad network uh, yeah. that it, it can be a little difficult, even if you're only talking pretty much to like people in, in the field. Mm. Somehow it still feels like a little bit like someone's going to sneak in with some, like some really Chad business advice. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or something, and it's like, calm down. So true. <laughs> 